my God. All right. I don't, I don't know if I even want to do this at this point. I was in a good mood. I was, I, I had some leftover, uh, wait, let's, let's go. Oh, I had some leftover macaroni and gravy. I had a short nap. And, and now. What is macaroni and gravy? Oh, that's what you call it in Long Island when people eat biscotti. Yeah, but what, what are you using it to refer to? Oh, jeez. Um, my wife made mm-hmm. bolognese, mm-hmm. and I had requested uh, whatever the one that's noodles is, parpadali. This is the thing I discovered from my daughter and her friends. Yeah. She said uh, she was over at a friend's house, and they always have bolognese. And I had to ask her, what do you mean when you say that? I think this one's from the New York Times because it had carrots in it. <laughs> just like <laughs> I get the feeling that somehow, like I guess from food TV or cooking shows or something, at some point people uh, considered the idea of taking a jar of spaghetti sauce from the supermarket and putting ground beef in it and then putting it on spaghetti. And now they have made themselves bolognese like right. that happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's also how you make ragu. Same <laughs> recipe. No, honestly, though, like you're you're right. You are right. I mean, in the sense that, like in in America, any kind of like you know, not ketchup, but like tomato sauce with a bunch of meat in it passes for a lot of different. It's almost pasta fazool. Also, right, I mean, because yeah, it's it's been made my whole life. People are making that thing I just described my whole life, but re- only recently have people started calling it by a different name. And okay. I think it's because of like the uh, the ascendance of uh, food TV and other uh, food uh, related television programs that have put the word bolognese into people's minds. So now they say, right. oh, did you have some kind of tomato sauce with bits of meat in it? You're having bolognese. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I remember it. She did add dairy to this. I, the bolognese I remember was almost pink. Where it, like, it had like a fair amount of a, a dairy cream kind of component to it. This was real good though. I just had it, as always, as you know, two days later, it's so much better than it was even when it's fresh. Yeah, bolognese, like so many uh, Italian things, well, first of all, it has some ridiculous government like body that controls the official recipe, you know, because like all the things in Italy do it now, presumably for tourism or whatever reasons. Like you're talking about, you're talking about stuff like champagne or the Shroud of Turin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like there's some food product and like at some point, some person, some government person says, we should have like an official government recipe of this that lays down exactly what it is. Parmigiano Reggiano, but but however you say it, I'll bet that has a Right, but that's like literally a food product sold for it. These are just plain recipes. And they say, well, actually, we're going to have an official recipe. Um, anyway, and second, bolognese, like so many Italian things, is very straightforward and simple to make. It does not have a lot of ingredients. It does not have a lot of complex techniques. And almost everything you see online as a, like a recipe for bolognese or whatever is more complicated and I would say like more sophisticated. Like because, because if you see it like, oh, it's in the New York Times cooking section, it's going to be like fancy and special. And here's all, you know. Whereas the, the actual recipe for, for ragu from the uh, bolognese region or wherever, they, wherever the stuff is made is like seven ingredients combined right. in a very right. simple way. And if you were to make that for somebody, they'd be like, oh, this is boring. <laughs> no, like, yeah, right. I, think, I think you're right. And I, I, yeah, I, I think it's true for lots of things. And I, I think it makes it feel more like, I don't know, it's like the whole like menu or whatever it's called, like, like food box services where it's like it feels oh hey i'm cooking like i got a box and if if the recipes are like a little bit complicated and has 
I, I sometimes think that they just put ingredients just so people can like say it has like a wackadoo ingredient in it. Although I'm actually, you know, it's talking about food box. Like I, I still get Blue Apron. And uh, one of the things I like about these food box services is they are, as you call them, is that they are financially motivated to not have a lot of complicated ingredients because that costs more money, right? Yeah. And what well, it and, makes And them- importantly also just really increases the complexity of fulfillment and, and scalability. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like and what how it many makes farm them do, can you have? <laughs> yeah, what it makes them do, I think, is come up with recipes with a very small number of ingredients, but each ingredient is, is doing something that counts. Right. And I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it doesn't work, but sometimes it really does. There's like three ingredients or four, and that's it. But they're the right four to make something that tastes good, and I appreciate that. But anyway, if you ever want to make bolognese, I'll try to find the link for the show notes. Unfortunately, I think the link is in Italian. Because <laughs> you know right. it's an Italian government website. Sorry about that. I'll run it through ChatGPT. It'll be fine. Yeah, no, I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll find uh, some uh, translated version. But it's like it's so easy to make. It is time consuming because you got to cook it for a while. But it's very easy to make, and I think it tastes good. But you know, if you're if you're used to just taking a bunch of ground beef and throwing into a, uh, a jar of spaghetti sauce from the supermarket, maybe it won't be what you're looking for. I'll let her know. Um, Lisa doesn't have raisins, so that's that's. I got some of your raisins, by the way. I had to get them off Amazon. The dull raisins, pretty good, huh? Yeah, they're plump. They're they're they're. It's they're still plump, not like shiny. A, it's not a destination food for me, but like way better than than a sun made. You're absolutely right. Yeah, about for that. sure. Yeah, yeah. I I just you know I just, yeah yeah you gotta put fennel in it. No, not 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 my wife or your wife or anybody's wife. Not nobody. No, but like you know, it's just it's it's like oh can you can you taste the sherry or you can it's like th- there's. There's a restaurant that we have loved for 20 years that unfortunately closed fairly recently. And I, the thing that I love about this place is that it's, I mean, I say Chinese food. It's its really good upscale Chinese food. And I don't know enough about, you know, cuisine beyond Hunan and Szechuan to say anything. But even that I couldn't find it on a map. But like the beauty of this place is I think what kind of what you're describing, it, it's kind of the, the the bit behind the lobster diner joke. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't order lobster in a diner. Like when's the last time that they serve lobster in that place? And that's not that far off. Some stuff I've seen on the menu in places where you're like, oh my gosh, can't you just really focus on like good stuff? And the reason I love this restaurant, one of the reasons is like, it's just so consistently exactly the same and always very good. Every dish tastes different. (laughs) It tastes like a, a dish somebody made, but it's also made from like a fairly small number of ingredients. I mean, it's, it's scallops, chicken, it's a, it's a bunch of some proteins and different things, but like, you know, it's, there's a reason I guess Gordon Ramsay goes in and yells at people, you know, you have so much, people get so much complexity on their menus, but at home, there's no compunction about that. You can just, you can just go get the most wackadoo stuff, you know, from, uh, I don't know, a pioneer grandma or whatever. And like, it's it, it does seem a little bit overworked sometimes recipes yeah it's like a like little kids painting they combine all the colors and you just end up getting gray or brown right yeah, yeah, fewer, yeah. fewer colors bolder strokes italian cooking well done uh let's get my thing and go to uh follow up what do you mean skipping your thing you're not going to put this in the notes and then skip it just selected you put it. this in here recently as in the last day or two and then you're trying to jump over it and i say no Pop quiz. Yep. You thought I forgot about the pop quiz. I thought you tried to skip over it. Well, because, you know, 
you're no rock and roll fun. Like have the courage of your convictions. Have the courage of your bullet points in the the show notes. I'm not as cleft to bullets in a text file as you are. Mm -hmm. And you should. We should probably have some foos and bars after that, so it's easier to add new bullets. The list is life. That's what they say in Schindler's List. Mm. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, hmm. Um, they, they're little hands. They, they, they can polish the inside of the shells. Mm -hmm. You know? So, um, I've been collecting, you know, pop quiz. Now, see, I don't want to do it now. Now it's not fun. Well, if you're not going to do it, you have to at least tell me what you would have done. No, I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, what's your feeling about candles and how has it changed over time? And I know, um, don't, I know you're going to say, we talked about this before. I don't care. The question for pop quiz, and I didn't ask you any of my tech questions. This is, this is just things that occur to me. And I think to myself, I wonder what John Syracuse thinks about candles. But importantly, in a Merlin Man way, how has your, have your feelings about candles in your home changed over time? My feelings about candles is, is and has always been that I'm just not that into them. Fair. Um, are you from candle never, people? Can I ask that? I've, yeah, I've never seen the appeal. No one in my family, uh, immediate or extended, has been a candle person. I am aware candle people exist. I just I, I come from really candle come. people. Mm. Yeah, I have I have not come in contact with them. I did make candles in sixth grade, um, as part of our sixth grade trip to some place in upstate New York where we made our own. Candles. I was gonna guess. I was gonna guess. Here it's like fifth grade where you go to Gold Country or whatever. Or like when I was in in Ohio, you'd make an Ohio map out of like I don't know whatever that gloop is that you could make Indian burial grounds and stuff. Like I figured it was gonna be one of those heritage kind of things. You made heritage candles. Yeah, you mean where you dip a string in wax and all that good stuff. And in the tallow. I think that's what it's called. Is that what it's called? I, I think they're called Chandlers, I want to say, are people who make candles. Yeah. So so that was fun making them. But once I made them, I didn't have any interest in them. Um, in terms of candles in my home, since I'm not that into them, there are not really many candles in our house. The only time I remember them in childhood is I knew we had candles because of two things. One, uh, Advent, right? The Advent wreath. Are you familiar with that? Not really. Oh, I hope that's not a Catholic. Maybe it's just a Catholic thing. I don't know. But anyway. My, my, my kid's <laughs> best, well, pseudo best friend is, um, is from um, Denmark. And she's one of those families where they put, they put lit candles on the tree. What is Advent wreath? Let's see what the, let's see. It's Christian. It's not Catholic. There you go. So anyway, oh. um, traditionally a Lutheran practice, but spread to many other Christian denominations. Anyway. Maybe that's it. Maybe my, my grandfather and kind of my grandmother were Lutheran. Maybe that's where my candles come from. Anyway, we had an Advent wreath, uh, three purple candles, one pink one. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to Advent wreath stuff so you can learn all about it. Um, and th so that was like before Christmas for, you know, whatever the time leading up, you'd have the Advent wreath. Uh, so those candles were lit. And then uh, going over a friend's house for Hanukkah, but that's not really a candle. That depends on what they had, if they actually had an oil lamp or a candle thing. Oh, I see. And, and, the, and you already said this, but those colors and the arrangement, everything is meaningful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then... Let's see, uh, uh, blackout candles, right? So like if you lose power, uh, you'd have some candles in the house. So we had some candles that were held in reserve for when that happened. It was very rare that that happened. I think the longest one we had uh, maybe like a week long outage after Hurricane Gloria. You gotta have it though. You may be out of energizers. Like back in, like especially in Florida, you're like, you just don't know. You've got to have candles around. Yeah, yeah. So that that's all I can That's a different kind of candle. That is a functional candle. And I was, I, 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 I didn't want to overframe. But I was thinking mostly about, or, and then I, th I feel like you've talked before about concerns that one member of your fa family 
has very much in, in, participated in candle culture, uh, which is to say uh, somebody in your house burns candles. And, uh, and sometimes you find that concerning, right? No, people, some people in my house want to burn candles, but do not. Uh, my daughter wants to have candles. I said, no, you're going to burn her house down. Uh, that is a real concern. I don't want open flames in the house, especially open flames that are supposed to be attended to by uh, the person who can't manage to put any of her clothing or, or belongings mm. away and leaves things everywhere. So that's really not what I'm looking for. Yep, yep, yep. And other than mm -hmm. that, there hasn't been a lot of people who have been clamoring to have any kind of candles. I bet you Alex is going crazy about candles now that he's in school. No, doing his own so thing. I don't, I'm not into them. I don't have them in my house, really. I don't think we have blackout candles. We certainly don't have an advent wreath. I don't want candles. I don't need candles. Um, you're killing it, by the way, with this. You're doing great at this. Seriously, you're doing, you're answering exactly the way, not how I want you to answer, but you're covering this in, in an excellent way. So candles, candles don't have a place in your house in part no. because like you, you do have a strong feeling about it in, in the negative. Yeah. Like the, like the, the risk reward, even though I was into candles and like them, the risk reward is all wackadoo. That's my like problem. Not, That's my it's problem. It's not, the risk reward ratio is not favorable. It's like rock climbing, right? You may enjoy it as a sport, but chance of death, I feel like the, the ratios there are way off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's, uh, I think it's really valuable to get yourself in the habit of creating reminders for things. And nobody thinks they need a reminder until, of course, the time they don't. And like for us, it's like, oh my God, I forgot Bando was out. And of course, he's already crawled under the cables and has gone to sleep an hour ago. And we all feel terrible that we forgot Bando was out. But we didn't see him. He's like, he's hiding like under the Nintendo. Like we can't see Two him. words. I got two words for you. Hmm. Air tag. Oh, buddy, I've thought about it. <laughs> I know you have. <laughs> no, you have. You could put it under a little cowboy hat. Oh, my God. New sheriff in town. I, I boy, I, I've more than thought about it. Like, it's just that he, you could see that he doesn't enjoy wearing things. And even, even the very nice cowboy hat that uh, Kevin Budnick got him as a present. Uh, he doesn't like that. And on, on top of it all, uh, thanks to a shovel blog article, I've now learned how to deal with the, uh, there's actually 30 up to, th do you know this is 32, how can I put this, 32 trackable units that you can have in Find My, which sounds dumb. It used to be a hard upper limit, I think, of 16 air tags, and it's been clarified in the last, I don't know, year or whatever, is that you can have up to 32 things, but here's the thing, like these right here. AirPods Pro, this counts as three. Yeah, because you got the case too. So if you have old devices, I'm bad about taking off old devices, uh, decommissioning my battleships, but I did a bunch of those. So now I have I have slots. I have slots available uh, for that. And I, I would love that. I, if it could be something, I wish I could make it seem like his idea. You know, like something where it would be fun for him. He doesn't have ideas. He's basically a plant. It's, it's, it's really true. He, he, looked, he looked very surprised today. His eyes were very buggy today. I'll send you a photograph. Um, thank you for answering that. I have, I have many more, but I think, I think that one will, will do us for now. See, no, 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 no. My kid likes incense, likes candles, likes those things, and has so far been really, really good about it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's like, like they say about the terrorists, you know, they only got to be right once. Yep. Yep, that's what it boils down to. And I know what you mean in terms of the of the trade-off part of it. But you know, around the holidays, we got some 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 nice stinky holiday candles that were nice, smell like different things. No, no, I mean they weren't like these weren't like, you know, crass 
proletariat candles. Mm -hmm. These are artisanal. Mm -hmm. And they smell like, you know, pine. we have one called sand. I got for my birthday. It's, it's, uh, it's called yeah, what? <laughs> when there was no crawdad. <laughs> you ate sand? That's right. <laughs> when there was no foul. Um, <laughs> that was funny. Huh. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but like, and I'm not, I don't have a heart on about it. Like, I'm not like mad about candles, but I'm curious because it does seem like there are people, it's one of those things. And I'm trying not to be how I am about this, but it's one of those things it's, that hoarders like. Let's just put it that way. It's it's a thing like scrapbooking that I think hoarders are into is, is candles, which makes it doubly concerning to me, if you know what I if mean. If they just want the smell, there's all sorts of like sort of candle substitutes that will essentially give you a thing. You would love that. Maybe get, what are they called? Glade slide-ins or whatever? Wouldn't you yeah, love well, that? No, not the ones that go in the outlet. You could charge I'm, your phone bunch, with it? Those are terrible. But no, there, there, are, there are things that you can get that will just essentially emit smell over a period of time you get without any flame. Oils, John. You can you can do that thing, that douchey yeah. thing where you stick up and put a bunch of sticks in oil. Or you could just not and not have your house smell like that. I like my house. I like my 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 surroundings usually not smelling like a thing. No, yeah. I, mean, I think yeah. not having a smell. I mean, I get why people like things like you know new car smell or like whatever. But like you know, there's or, or, or the smell of cigarettes reminds them of their parents. Yeah, I know. Yeah, or the reminds them of their long dead parents. Yeah, or the or the the girls who used to kiss them. You know, mm -hmm, they've mm -hmm. been overkissed. Yeah, that's terrible. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash diffs. Friends, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and for growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, you can engage with your audience, and you can sell anything, whether that's your products, services, or even the stuff that you make. Squarespace has got everything you need, and it's all in one place. Uh, you, you can make the most of the, this thing called Fluid Engine. Fluid Engine. Squarespace's next-generation website design system. It'll unlock your creativity more easily than ever. You can start with the best-in-class website template and then customize every design detail with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. You can stretch your imagination online with Fluid Engine. It's built in and ready to go on any new Squarespace site. Uh, can't miss this one. You can sell your products on an online store. So whether that's physical or digital goods, uh, Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. Now, now a great thing for that. Okay, so so how, how people are going to pay for it? You ask yourself. At least I would. I mean, you know, to make money, <clears throat> people have to give it to you. You know, so so you got flexible payment options. So check this out. You can make checkout seamless for your customers for that store that's yours now with simple but powerful payment tools. So you can accept credit cards, PayPal, Apple Pay, uh, and you can offer customers the option to buy now and pay later with things like Afterpay and ClearPay. I'm a huge fan of Squarespace. I've been with them for years. Uh, it's where we host the Roderick on the Line podcast. And, uh, you know, ever thus to, to Roderick on the Line, uh, a big fan. And so I really, I, I can actually recommend them. They do pay us. I, I should probably say that. This is, a, this is a paid advertisement, as John says. Uh, or advert, as, as they say, in uh, uh, across the pond, in it. But uh, I do recommend it. So what I suggest is you please, please go to squarespace.com/diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. It's gonna get your free trial. Then when you're ready to launch, you go to squarespace.com/diffs. Use the offer code diffs, okay? And that's gonna save you ten percent off your first purchase of a website or domain. Once again, say it thrice, and it's almost like praying. Squarespace.com/diffs offer code diffs and ten uh, percent off your purchase, and it supports. 
John Craig Syracusa. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. <sighs> the second or fifth thing that we, that we do. Oh, hi, everybody. Welcome to Reconcilable Differences. Um, this, you're listening right now to episode 227 of uh, John's Reconcilable Differences program. We visit with you and uh, we talk to you. And there's nothing you can do to stop us. And we're glad that you're here. Uh, we do want to let you know that if this is a program that you enjoy, uh, in addition to, I will say thank you. Thank you that you enjoy it. If you would like to support it, uh, you may choose to do so. And by support, I, I, I'm not using that as, a, as like a euphemism. I mean, like if you want to give us money, I would love it if you gave us. John, would you like if people gave us money? That would be nice. My friend Harry, his, his full name was Harm Franz Hendrik Munkhorst. Uh, my friend Harry um, used to say, if you want something in life, you should ask for it. And I found that to be really true. So I, if you guys, uh, you people, you team, you magnificent bastards, if you have a little extra money, please consider supporting the program by giving us money. You do that by going to relay.fm slash rd slash join. And John, would you please uh, tell our friends uh, some of the, the wonderful things they get when they uh, support the program by giving us money? Well, first of all, you get the show without any ads. Second of all, every other episode, you'll get essentially in a whole other second episode tacked on to the end of the first one. So you get more of us if that's what you want. And then, of course, you get our annual specials. And we've had many of them over the years. So if you haven't been a member before, you can listen to the old annual specials. And then every year you get to hear a new annual special. Usually we have some sort of fun guest or do some other fun thing that's out of the ordinary. You'll get all that. Plus, uh, Merlin tells me, wallpaper. Wallpaper. Now, here's the thing. I used to be the sort of person, you know this about me. I'm talking a lot about the sort of person I am because that's, frankly, the sort of person that I am. But, but you know, I'm the sort of person that for a long time, and I, I feel this in my heart, right here in my heart. It's, the candle is in my heart, which is, which is uh, you know, uh, if you don't like it, you shouldn't listen. And in fact, you're not even allowed to hate listen to it. Here's the thing. If you want to hate, donate. Don't. That's nothing. I got nothing. If, no, if you want. No, if you, that's not a thing. <laughs> If you would like, if you would like to convert <clears throat> your uh, your anger into, you know, not cryptocurrency, but I guess regular money for us, that's fine too. You can hate listen as often as you want, and if you hate the wallpaper, that's okay too. You can you can just you know change it and stuff if you want. We do appreciate uh, uh, the folks who support that show. Uh, as as John said, you know the the. the bonus episode we usually call it or the member episode is frequently about you know as long as in in minutes as the uh as the regular episodes frequently pretty long and we hit some dingers i think last week's was really good i don't know if you've heard but i got a couple nice notes about last week's episode talking about my sobriety my not drinking we talk we talk about more private things because we know very few people will be listening to it so we can open up even more without worrying about uh saying anything bad so uh merlin we talked about something a little bit personal to merlin which is him stopping drinking that was the uh, last episode's uh members only after show do you want to lean into that do you think we should make it weirder do you think we should have a a... i think we're doing fine with the on the weirdness (laughs) we talked about your toes for like weeks yeah and that we did that in the main show i know i'm saying that needs to go somewhere that needs to be in you know john's foot you know there might be due to pop off uh sometime soon so oh we begin thank you so much to everybody we begin fifth or sixth on the show with uh follow-up john what do you have uh, john what do we have for follow-up this week we got some computer stuff don't we yeah we were trying to uh help you out with your uh, situation with some command line tool that wasn't working for you and you couldn't quite figure out why we had this discussion about it and i ended up saying that um if you are dealing with the unix command line on a regular basis it's worthwhile to 
do some bottom-up learning that will serve you well in the many, many years to follow, rather than just sort of a flailing and beating on it from the top down. Uh, and a listener and friend of the show, Kieran Healy, had this to say about it. Uh, many academics like myself are in no way computer scientists, but have students and colleagues who really need to understand the basics of the command line, the shell, et cetera, in order to do the mechanics of their work in a non-magical thinking way. And so we ended up teaching courses like this and gave a link to uh, what is what is called Modern Plain Text Computing, which is a course that basically teaches people the fundamentals that they'll need to know to do their other work. Um, that's, you know, they're not computer science majors. These are people of other majors, like, for example, sociology. This reminds me a lot of, of, of people who, like, maybe, like, okay, good writers, but they're going into a field where it would be really vital to be more than just a serviceable writer. And so it's not remedial writing, but like, you know, I think that's a very laudable thing to say to people, we want to make you a better writer to make you better at being a sociologist. I think that's similar to what's happening here. If you're going to be a, he's a statistics guy, right? Yeah, and so, and so many, I think he's a sociology professor, but they do tons of stuff with statistics. But it's so many, I, I feel like this is true in computer science courses. So many majors, if you look at, here are the courses that everybody has to take, because I'm looking at my son. My son is a computer science major. I'm looking at the courses they're having him take. And I say, freshman year, everybody who's a computer science major should have been forced to take a course like this, which is like, this is what a computer is. This is how it works. These are the basics. And yet people will roll their eyes at it. But I see, and my son and all the other things, they just, people just get by sort of with, with like, you know, as Kieran says, this magical thinking, like, <laughs> well, right. I don't need to know that much about this. I can just muddle my way through. And you can, you can muddle your way through, right? But the, you shouldn't, you should just learn a few basics up front that will serve you so well for the whole rest of your career. And especially, you know, you think, oh, well, computer science majors learn this. No, they don't. They just expect them either to already know this I mean, or they like, don't bother. Is it historically isn't computer science math? Isn't it just like a, like a lot of math? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this that's the old saying that I've repeated on this show many times and I will attempt to get right again. Uh, computer science has as much to do with computers as astronomy has to do with telescopes. Oh, that's good. That's like something that. like that. <gasps> I love analogies word, like that. Um, but... Uh, bottom line is more and more professions have you encountering computers at a level you're not used to. So you're a sociology major. Like, I don't need to know nothing about computers. Oh, well, suddenly you're using this stupid Unix program from the command line constantly and knowing things about like what files and directories are and how to use the Unix uh, command line shell. Just the basics is essential for you not getting lost in stuff that has nothing to do with what you're doing. Like if you're confused about files and directories and that's preventing you from doing your sociology homework, something is wrong. So Right. Courses like this are great. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes to the course. I believe all of the slides from the course are just available for free. So you can just go through it and uh, watch videos and go through the slides and sort of audit the course yourself without the benefit of having an instructor there. But hey, it's free. So please take a look at this. Lots of people are always asking about something like this. I don't think this is exactly what I was talking about. I was wanted to go a level deeper than this, but this is better than nothing for sure. Yeah, that leads us to, let me take the next one because I think that's germane to the next one. Uh, from um, our listener, Jas, J-A-S, uh, to, uh, to me on uh, Mastodon. From the recent Reconcilable Differences, which, which learning Unix books slash reference do you recommend? Um, I have a basic knowledge, but looking to become more of a power user. And I said to that, per that person, because I obviously, <laughs> um, thank you very much, uh, listener Jas, um, is that I, I imagine we would have some follow-up about that and that you in particular would have follow-up about that. And that's germane to what you were just saying, which is like, it's, again, it's, I, I know more than I let on, but I understand less than I'd like that. Would you write that down? That's pretty good. 
You're not going to write it down, are you? No, it's too long. Sorry. Okay. She said. And so, uh, yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Cut that out, Jim. Um, uh, that's fair. Um, I mean, I, I hacked and whacked at this to just kind of like, just try and get my legs under me with mainly O'Reilly books and things like that and, and picking up along the way. But I wonder if there's a way to dovetail or fold, fold these together. And I realize I'm asking you the kind of thing you don't generally relish answering specifically last time we recorded, you refused to answer. But like when we talk about stuff like, so your point, if I understood it last week and I probably didn't, is that like learning Unix is about more than learning flags and attributes for CD. Like there's more to it. What you're talking about is understanding more about in particular how the, how, what the shell is and how, how that enables you to do stuff with the, but to do stuff with the computer, it's really valuable to understand more about how the actual computer works. Right. And, and the question I had last week that I'm going to repeat this week, cause I hope you've come up with a brilliant answer is like, as much as you are generally reluctant to, to make this kind of recommendation, is there, and it varies by everybody, but is there, what is the minimum, minimally viable point in the stack you could jump in, say, below the shell to start deriving an understanding that would tell you what to learn next and how to learn it? Does that question make sense? Like, people want to know, like, what do I, a lot of people would say, like, uh, what's, what's a course I should, like, you know, I think MIT has all those uh, CS courses online, or is it Harvard? Has a bunch of CS courses, like, full-on, like, CS things. But that's not what you're saying. You're, you're saying something different. You don't need another math class. What would be valuable is to understand more about what's happening when someone is typing in, a, in what I would call the shell, or bash, or whatever, right? Where, what do you, where, where do you, Okay, let me ask you a Merlin Man question, the kind you hate. H- how would one self-identify the point in the stack that would be useful for them to start learning? Well, so this uh, this modern plain text computing thing, and by the way, I think plain text should be hyphenated in this title. Maybe. I think increasingly I feel like it's one word. Mm, no, I don't go I don't anyway. Um this this course that we just uh, mentioned uh, that uh, Kieran sent us a link to will be in the show notes. Uh, if you go through that and you feel like, boy, this was useful. But I still feel like uh, I need a little bit more, uh, it, it, you know, like problem solving. Like I think do, doing a course like this is like really top level kind of like, oh, here's some basics that you want to need to know. Um, that will let you know if your eyes are already glazing over. and You're like, I can't take this. I'm not interested. I don't care. Maybe probably don't go to the level that I was suggesting. And right. at least you got some valuable skills out of it. But if you go through this and you say, all right, but this actually won't help me solve the past two or three problems that I have because it doesn't go deep enough. Um, in last week's episode, I think maybe I mentioned it on the show, but I did put it in the notes. There's a book called Unix Power Tools, which mm-hmm. is kind of like reading a history book about World War One. Uh, because that's the, that's extreme, the fat, the fat O'Reilly book. Yeah, it is extremely out of date, and you may be thinking, "What's what's the point of learning this? This isn't even recent. Like it's ah, not relevant. Uh, it's out of date." But I would still read the Mythical Man Month if you have a job. <laughs> right. Well, so uh, it's like reading a history book about like World War One. Uh, you're like, I "Well, but this, that's not even. Why would I need to know this? Yeah, that's not even the most recent World War. Like, what am I learning from yeah. this? And it's like you you will learn some valuable lessons. So Unix specifically has tons of history, and that history comes with baggage. And knowing some of the history and baggage, even though you think, oh, that's not relevant today, it will help you understand some of why things are the way they are today if you understand the history, a lot of which is dumb and weird. Uh, so Unix Power Tools is a great example, but it is a huge phone book thing. And you're like, you're, and if your eyes glaze over during this modern plain text computing, you will not make it through Unix Power Tools. 
but it is, I found it, people will ask me, what should I do? It's like, I, I haven't found anything good, but that's how I learned a lot of this stuff. And the second one is um, a textbook that I had in school for my operating systems course, which is actually thinner than Unix power tools. And I think easier reading, even though it's scary because it's a textbook. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's, uh, what is it called? Uh, Modern Operating Systems, which is an increasingly silly title given when the book was written. Uh, it's a ten, uh, Andrew S. Tenenbaum book. Um, it will teach you what an operating system is, which oh, people I can totally see the value in that and what it has to do for you. And those two things combined, you're like, okay, so this book is telling me in the abstract, like, what's the point of an operating system and what is it supposed to do? And you will connect that with Unix and, power and tools. And also, saying, if okay, I could say, what, and why would I need to know that if all I'm going to do is, you know, double click icons 80% of the time? Yeah. And like, what this gets down to in terms of like, well, how does this help you debug? You're typing things in the command line and it's not working. How does that help you with that? Knowing uh, the, the Unixy stuff and knowing that like, what the shell is doing and what system calls it's making. What is a system call? Why do they exist? Why do they look the way they do? What is the job of those system calls? Like things like making command lines with pipes, uh, redirecting to files. That's what I was going right. to mention. That is yes. all connected directly to the job of an operating system, the way Unix is structured itself. What are the list of system calls that are part of Unix? Uh, you know, maybe what are also, they, also what are they called? What can they do? And this, this sort of cultural underlying knowledge of operating systems and Unix specifically will be invaluable for the whole rest of your life if you constantly have to deal with Unix computers in the command line as mm -hmm. a part of your hobby or as part of your profession. Because honestly, it hasn't changed that much since 1970. Like a lot of things are surprisingly the same. And so if you learn this it's, stuff it now- is kind, It is kind of wild how much has stayed the same versus what is, and like what has changed, are, are in so, well, again, at the level I interact with these things, is enough that like you can get by. Like if you're in a shell you've never seen before, a lot of your stuff will just work fine. Yeah, like knowing, knowing the process model, what is a process, how are processes modeled in Unix, uh, and knowing from the operating system book, uh, that wasn't the only possible way things could have gone, but it's the way Unix chose and what are the alternatives and how do they compare to each other and why was this chosen in Unix? And just, it, it'll give you, it's not like you have to memorize this stuff. You're not going to be a programmer. You're not going to be writing your own operating systems. It's just kind of like reading about World War One. You're not ready to be a general in a war but you do know a lot more than you did before about war, how it's waged and what they're like, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't pretend to be uh, any kind of like a philosopher or historian on this, but the the philosophy, so you know, like I, I'm, I've watched like some old talks with people who worked at Bell Labs and, you know, the, I, I think that stuff is fascinating, hearing people talk about the early days and the changes and the controversies and all those sorts of things and the sort of, I was about to use the word epochal, but that's probably a poor choice of words. But the way things changed from like pre-69 after 69, and then like the the sort of turns it took in the 70s and, you know, decisions to keep this kind of thing with same and not. And I mean, when I say decide, well, you know, you can go make your own version of a Unix-like system. Like that's whatever you want to do is fine. But I think one part of it from a liberal arts major standpoint that's worth looking into, and I hope you'll get my back on this, is just the, I don't know, what the... I don't say philosophical exactly, but for whoever first said small pieces loosely joined, do you know who said that first? Uh, no, but I bet it was somebody uh, retconning it. <laughs> Could be, but like the, the concept still works for me, which is that, so as somebody who, my first paying jobby job with a desk in an office, I spent a lot of time, for example, just in Microsoft Word, and that was right, so this will be an important year for you, 1991. And there was a new version of Microsoft Word that came out for the Mac around that time 
that was let's just suffice to say it was it was not a the lean fast running application that the previous version was it had all these different extensions and croft and this was the beginning of the era where you do a funny screenshot like what if you turned on all of the bars and uh you know the the palettes and bars and microsoft Word. it was just it was like beyond like you like you said like homer's car like beyond crufty and so to me to learn about the deliberate really just kind of like the the challenge of deliberate economy and how you design these systems and and what you just got at with with pipes for example or well, there's different things like but things like a pipe and it's just it's such a fascinating idea and it didn't take me very long to go oh that's now I understand why like like a lot of people would go like I understand like Microsoft Word does all of these things and it can like cook my bolognese and do all these different things and you're like so how how would you have like what how many different how many different binaries are just for something like what we would call like text replacement right I mean like or or text uh, regular expressions text substitution like all those kinds of things but they're they're from different times but they do different things that are very specific. These are very, very sharp knives. And the idea is not to make one big mega app you throw content at. It's to have all these different things that you then, and you've heard that word, pipe together. So, I mean, off the dome, one that comes to mind is something like tail. So you say, well, what, what is tail? Well, just show me the last N lines of this file, right? And so, but I want, what I want you to do is without even opening that file in a way that I see, I want you to go, go locate that file for me. And I want you to take the last 10 lines and I want you to then filter only the ones that have this appearing, sort of like copy lines containing in BB edit that like, I, I, I'm not explaining this great, but like take this, take this thing, this log file that's really unwieldy. And then I want you to like, just take th this many entries from it. I want you to filter out the ones that only do or don't have this. And then I want you to send that into a new text file, or I want you to send it to a different program. And that's, pipes are, are, are such a powerful idea that is in some ways just antithetical to the way we think, even if we're the sort of person that uses the word workflow, there's so many ways in which we're used to like just hopping from one island to the other to do things, or for that matter, just sitting in the big metropolis machine, turning a crank. And there's something from a liberal artsy standpoint, there's something so beautiful and elegant about the, the notion of, um, of a Unix-like system. And as much as a lot of the folks who've built the stuff we use today are a little bit uh, eccentric in some ways, to say the least, like it's sometimes the, like, the history of those personalities and how it led to why we do it this way here is to me extremely interesting and is not a bad way in. And that's one reason I don't, that's one reason I, I really like O'Reilly books. You can go at your own speed. It's not fascinating John Grisham reading unless you're really into it. Like if you're somebody who just like, if you're one of those people who are like, here's a book on my sequel, learn about this. You'd be like, ah, this sucks. But like they're presented in a way that especially the Arnold Robbins books in my experience are presented in a way that it's just, it's so sensible and so browsable and so jump aroundable. And, but it all, it kind of begins with like what, what we think you can handle today about understanding why this is put together in this way, which is the kind of thing I can totally understand wanting to skip over, except it actually is fascinating. And it will, I think, help you derive at least an admiration for how this works, if not a complete understanding of it. Yeah, speaking of the Unix philosophy, this is 
probably lower level than anybody needs to go. But if you are actually interested in pursuing that further, one other aspect that actually does kind of, this is a stretch, but it does kind of connect upwards to the sort of the pipes in the level that I was suggesting people dig in at. It's the concept of worse is better. Have you heard that one? I've, I think I've talked about it in the past. No, say again. So there's a bunch of papers on it. I tried to find links for it. I'll put it the best ones I could find in the show notes. Um, but it was the idea of like back in the early days, uh, the, the the operating system book helps with this. Back in the early days, lots of people had different ideas about what an operating system should be like. Before sort of Unix came and took over the whole world, uh, everyone knew what the job of an operating system does, but uh, how could you do that job? Lots of different philosophies. Operating systems should be designed like this. No, they should be designed like that. Before Unix came, and understanding, of course, like what was the how many K was the RAM that got us to the moon? Understanding the ridiculous constraints of systems at that time, you could not afford to be very flabby. But like from you, at times over the years, when these systems have become more robust from a hardware standpoint, that has not been an excuse to go just blow this mostly. <laughs> to just blow this thing up in a way that's going to make it ridiculous, right? Isn't, that, isn't it worth mentioning this is coming from a time, This is some of this is even before punch cards, right? Yeah, but they didn't, I mean, they didn't feel impoverished because the people who are writing these operating systems are writing them on like the biggest computers of the day. So to them, mm, they felt like sure. they were using powerful hardware that, and it cost a bazillion and they dollars. Were, and, and they were. Yeah. It didn't, so it didn't feel that way to them. Uh, and that that led to one of the philosophical differences. And you're running the operating system, you have these things called system calls, which are things the operating system can do for you. And you have to have some, you know, fairly small fixed list of them that let the operating system do what it needs to do. And programs call into that to ask the operating system to do the things that it's supposed to do for them, like allocate memory or start a new process, things that the operating system does on behalf of programs. And the philosophical difference was, hey, if I'm writing a program and I ask the operating system to do a thing that only it can do, like start a process because that's you know part of the job of the, of the program or allocate memory or something or the job of the operating system um mm -hmm. what you know how should it perform that job for me and there was one camp that was saying oh well whatever a program asks it to do it should do it uh, to the best of its ability and make sure it's correct and like it should you know like the, if you look at the list of in the worst is better thing is like well yeah it's, it's supposed to just do what i want with semantics that i understand it should be very consistent it should do it correctly every time and it should do everything that I asked it to do. So they shouldn't be complicated things. It should, I should understand what this thing can, me having understood what this thing does enables me to, to not need something like handholding, not need explanations, not need these sort of, it's going to be, it might seem kind of terse because that's the job of this thing. You could always flip on verbose mode if you want to hear more. But like it's that's how it works is it's terse. Yeah, and like if you, if you look at the operating system book, even the cover picture says this. Like part of the job of operating system is uh, dealing with access to a finite resource, like memory or the CPU. Right, something mm -hmm. has to manage that resource. Everyone can <laughs> have it at once. It's got to like <laughs> right, right, make right. people take turns or whatever. So the question is, well, what if a program makes a system call that asks for a thing, but that thing isn't available? How should the operating system handle that? Right. And it's all these different ideas like, well, we'll have this algorithm. We'll make sure like if you've been using the CPU for a long time now, it's somebody else's turn. And if you need memory, but someone else is using it, we could swap some to disk and be like all these different things of like how to how to fulfill the system call the way we would all want it to be. Right. Uh, and there, you know, the worst is better paper is about the two possible ways to do that. One is do everything possible to make that happen. And all, here's all these different designs we can do it. And the other one is... Oh, so like, to so prote protect my task at any cost is would be... Oh, no, the just like... To, to but try that seems to, like try the best do, solution, right? To try to do the thing that was asked. And the, uh, yeah. the other philosophy is, 
if you can't do it, just tell tell the caller, I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the worst is better philosophy, which is essentially you ask the operating system or something, the operating system said, nah, can't do it. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, wait a second. That's ro- the whole job of the operating system is to do the thing I asked. And you're, sa- you're saying in your fo- your philosophy and your operating system, you're going to say, oh, if it turns, if they ask for memory and it turns out there's not memory easily available, just tell them I couldn't get you any memory. Or if they want to make a process and you can't make one, just tell them I couldn't make a process. You're like, but that sinks because now everybody who writes a program has to ask the operating system for something. And then they have to check, hey, did the operating system say no to me? <laughs> huh. Right, right, right. And, I just, and like, I just well, how are you supposed to do that? And I the, just the, assumed the, the bridge would be up. <laughs> right. And the worst is better philosophy says, oh, well, the person who's writing the program will check whether the thing they asked for, check whether they right. actually got it. And if they didn't get it, they'll ask again. <laughs> right. It's also true for email. For, right. For, you know, and it, well, should they ask again after some time? Delay? It's, like, I don't know, it's up to the program. It's not my problem. I'm the operating system. I'll try to do the thing you asked. But if I can't do it, I'll just say, yeah, couldn't do it. Or yeah. maybe if you're in the middle of doing something like you're, you're like reading something from a file and you're reading it a bit at a bit of a time or give me the next little piece of file, get the next little bit of the file. Maybe sometimes when you ask the next little bit of the file, the operating system will say, oh, I couldn't get the next bit. Sorry. You're in the middle of it. You, you're reading the file. You read the first half of it, but somewhere in the middle of the operating system, yeah, says, yeah, I couldn't get that. Sorry. You've got to check for that every time you ask for a piece of the file. And if the operating system says, oh, I couldn't do it. I don't know. Try again, I guess. Might work mm-hmm. the next time. Or might not. Like, whatever. You figure it out, program. It's not my problem. I'm the operating system. That is worse is better. Right. Because, and, and you can read the whole thing of, like, why would you ever design an operating system that way? Spoiler alert, that's how Unix is designed, right? Right. Uh, and the reason that relates potentially, and this is a stretch still, potentially up to the pipe thing is, have you ever seen the error message broken pipe? Yes. That is someone, broken you know, these, these pipe. pipes, these, these pipes are connected through file handles, right? And one program is so writing through a really file handle. So you a basic thing, which is, like, take part of this, send it over to that. And and so, a, I, I, what is a broken pipe? All right. So this, they're they're connected. You know, they're connected under the covers. You can look at the system calls for opening these file handles, and, and you know, one of them is writing into the file handle, and the other one, and the other thing is reading from it. These two separate processes, right? But what if either the thing that's writing or the thing that's reading asks for the next little piece from the pipe, and the operating system says, "Oh, sorry, no, I got this. There's nothing more in that pipe. In fact, that pipe is gone now. Sorry about that. Broken pipe." Uh, what it does every single time that a call is made in a program to, to either send something through a pipe or pull something from it, it has to check the return value and say, did the operating system tell me that this is not going, you know, that, sorry, you asked to read something, but either there's nothing there or it failed. And one of the failures is uh, broken pipe, like that pipe you're reading from. Yeah, it's not there anymore. Why? <laughs> Why isn't there? I don't know. I'm just telling you, you asked for, you asked for some data from it and it's gone. And the, uh, the English language <laughs> manifestation that of the command line is broken pipe. And all, one of the programs is telling you, I tried to read something from a pipe and the operating system told me, yeah, no, that's not there anymore. And if you don't, if you understand how it's working under the covers, maybe you can say, okay, what would cause a broken pipe? Oh, maybe the thing that was feeding stuff into that pipe exited before it could send all its stuff. Maybe it died with an error. Where is that error message? Where do error messages from processes go? I don't see an error message for that process. How can I get the error messages in that process? Like understanding all the handles. And, you know, if the, uh, this is that, a reach. That, that, you don't actually, need to that, know that does make sense. Yeah, yeah. But like otherwise, you're like, what is what is broken pipe? How does that make any sense? Whereas if you if you know about system calls and file descriptors and uh, you know character and block devices and system calls and I/O and the worst is better philosophy, it does eventually start to come together in gel. Again, you're not going to be writing your own operating system. You're not even be writing your own programs. You're just typing things on a command line. But understanding philosophically what's going on can really help you navigate this. Uh, mm-hmm. Landscape and worse is better does extend all the way up to the command line because 
things in the command line can fail. Things in the middle of a pipe sequence can fail. And when they do... And John Syracuse, I feel like that brings us right up to the to the, the last piece of follow-up. Oh, well, this, this is uh, not uh, really bottom-up, but... Well, well, but it's it it's apropos of what brought me here to begin with, and uh, and so one of the things that brought me to to asking John's help before we recorded last time was I think it was just really as as simple as like I know I've got I know I've got Python on here I know I've run ROM and it's all updated and I'm using stuff that uses Python so like. So again, now Merlin knows enough to be dangerous. And I go, well, you know, but there's different Pythons for different things, different places. Um, what's the one? It's not which or where, but what's where is, but what's what's the one where you say, um, ver, is there like a version one where it'll say like all the versions of like Ruby you've got installed or whatever? You know what I'm talking about? Or it'll show you all the locations, like not, not profile, but there's one that like you can have things in different places, just like on your Mac, right? Anyways, and I was like, this is frustrating because I really, I wanted to just do this quick, dumb thing in Python and then I got distracted by it. And so I say to John, well, I'm typing in Python and hitting enter and it says command not found. I figured this out, figured this out. I figured this out over the weekend. And as it happened, spoiler alert, somebody on Mastodon figured this out for me. <clears throat> said something on Mastodon, and that person is Christopher Bowers, user Christopher Bowers. Uh, hello, friend. Um, pointing out that, well, let me just read his... his. No, I, I, I did realize this, not that that's anything to be proud of. I did figure this out, but Christopher says, uh, if you're still having issues with Python not found, it's probably because Max now come with Python 3, and you'll need to write Python 3 space script.py to run a Python script. Hey, guess what, Christopher Bowers? That was exactly the problem. I sent you a little graphic image just now, John, so you can yeah, see. I, it didn't occur to me to suggest this to you because I assumed, that, I uh, foolishly assumed that you uh, were intentionally typing Python and not Python 3. Python, uh, basically there was Python and Python 2. I'm not an expert on Python history, but Python 3 is broke compatibility, source compatibility a little bit with, with the earlier versions of Python. So, so you, they wouldn't automatically like um, alias that because they do their four different things. Yeah, because can, they can't run all the old Python 2 code, I think, and vice versa, right? But there was so many scripts out there that said, oh, run Python, run Python. Yeah, right? it totally they, makes sense. They couldn't call it Python because all of a sudden now you're feeding your, your Python 2 scripts to the Python John, 3. John, do you understand like, that worse is yeah. better? I'm just saying. Yeah. So this is a great example. It's like, well, I don't know what their strategy is, but it's like, oh, great. So do we, do we have to type Python 3 forever now? Because backward compatibility, we need Python to mean Python 2 and Python 3. And I don't know the answer because I'm not a big Python fan, but I I do know the distinction. Yeah, but like, like, am I being simple? Isn't that something a user, I mean, personally, this doesn't, this seems like a second week of using Unix thing to do. But like, if you, if you're really troubled by that, you could alias Oh, no, that. Don't, don't alias it. You'll just mess yourself up. Because, because the thing is, there's still so, Python. I mean, that's what I'm saying. But then, John, that's what I'm trying to say. That's yeah. why I say it seems like a second week of knowing this, like you've made your cursor blink kind of thing. And now you're like, I mean, I've created so many aliases for so many things. And like, oh, my God. And environmental variables. I just, I don't need. And like all that kind of stuff. And it's it's just a bunch of croft. And I think it led to me why I needed Ruby on Mac in the first place uh, to, to just be able to do stuff. No, I, 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 I get it. I agree with you. I just wanted to say I'm an idiot. And and that's why that happened. Well, no, I mean, it's, it's a reasonable assume the language is called Python. And when I looked at it, I thought you were intentionally trying to run code. But there's tons of Python 2 code out there. So if you need to run Python 2 code, you would type Python space script.py. 
But just looking at script.py, I don't know whether that's Python 2 or Python 3. And in your case, I thought it was, you know, you thought you were running something that was Python 2. Do you feel like we've both learned something here, John, you and me, both? I just feel like we both kind of learned stuff from something, you know? No, because I know about the, the Python. I know about the Python two three distinction already, and I uh, would know about like Python. But like the Delta 3, so. in one's experience and expertise, like you, you said, you used the word assumed. You assumed that, yeah. which I mean, like, and you assume that for a very good reason. In the same way that I assumed, for what I perceived to be a good reason, that like in the past when I've typed Python and did something, it worked. Right. And so naturally, I assumed that I had broken something, probably with my profile. I don't think that's an insane way to try and troubleshoot that at all. There's plenty of things I've screwed myself up with real good on things like that. I mean, just all the stuff of like path names, like, you know, do you slash or no slash? And what's the difference? Well, they're the same thing. Well, they're the same thing in your web's location bar when you hit enter, but they aren't the same thing in this system. And that will really, that'll cause you some problems. Yeah. Eh, 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 uh, so now I got it working and I got, I got my ROM up to date. That's good. I, I brew, I brew, I brew installed my update, brew update. Everything's working. Everything's coming to Millhouse. Oh, you saw, you, I see in your reply, you said, oh, look, Python 3 is there. But is the code that you are running Python 3 code? Did you confirm that? No. It's on a different computer, but um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. But I mean, like, you know, a lot of the machine, machinery that powers my apparatus is Python. And I haven't had a problem with any of that stuff. I mean, a lot of that's on the Synology now, so maybe that's not a fair comparison, but... Or like, uh, but isn't um, Calibers all Python, right? I think so. Yeah, that's the difficulty of having like Python 3 uh, having compatibility uh, differences between Python 2 and Python 3. Like, how sustainable is that given that you have all this Python 2 out there in the world? You would hope it would be like a clean transition, but no one's going to rewrite all that Python 2 code to Python 3. Well, again, I mean, like, it's just antithetical to the stuff you were talking about. We were talking about the, the Unix people have been talking about. It's like, you know, each, what does they say, you know, pack your own shoot in life? You know, it seems like in Unix, there's a lot of packing your own shoot. There's there's this whole idea of like, well, this is what, oh gosh, I've been watching a lot of World War II stuff lately, so that's actually germane. But like you you are, not object-oriented, but you are, you are, uh, you are uh, in, in, in the army and you have this pack and there's stuff in it and like, or for that matter, master and commander, like you got to keep your stuff in your box. Like Mr. Blakely can put his hat on the on the deck. Sorry, I almost said floor. Mr. Blakely can put his hat on the floor. He's a he's a sweet, beautiful boy. Um, but you can't just put your stuff everywhere because you want to. The doors come off the captain's room too when it's time to do cannons. You know that one guy that does the 3D things? Um, uh, what's his name? You know, 3D maniac or whatever. The, he he has one about he has those beautiful 3D renderings of how an internal combustion engine works or a jet engine. He did one on 18th century um, battle, you know, sailing ships, kind of like the HMS Surprise, and went through the, I'll put it in notes, the logistics of how that thing is put together is, the des- let's put it this way, the design that goes into a, I think British, fighting ship in the 17th, early 18, or, sorry, in the 1700s, early 1800s, unbelievable the cannons turn sideways so you can hang your hammock right next to it like like i said the doors come off of everything they go up or they go away there's just all these ways in which from the beginning we put the capstan that helps pull up the anchor here because then that goes through two decks of the ship and allows us to attach attach these handles so like 
60 guys can all turn the anchor at the same time. There's just so many design decisions that go into it. And in every instance, I look at, oh my God, that's the size of, I'm sorry, I don't know the term, the carpenter, I think. Like the, the guy who like fixes wood stuff. Like that's the size of where he works. The surgeon does procedures, you know, like Paul Bettany in that tiny little room. And it's because it's, you've got hundreds of people on this ship. They all have to eat. They all have to poop. They all have to like know where to dry the sails and where the line goes in order to dry. And like that kind of design, it's a little bit like my, my edict about being able to do everything in the dark with one hand. Like you, you really, if you, if you're getting shot at by the uh, Acheron, like you don't have time to clean up Bob's mess. Everybody's got to do their own thing. They got to pack their own shoot and like, they got to put their stuff into their own, um, in their own uh, box that seems to me like a big part of what Unix does. It's like, in, in maybe in exactly the same kind of mean way as like the folded arms guy who loves, you know, Debian, like like goes that's not, that's not my job. Like it's not my job to figure out as a program as an application. It's not my job to figure out why that pipe broke. I'm I represent the part of this computer that tells you the pipe broke and I just did it successfully, kind of. Yeah, and same thing with the operating system itself. It'll try to do it, Jazz. Sometimes it can't, and it will just say, oh, I tried it, couldn't do it. I did it halfway, I died in the middle, and then it doesn't It doesn't suggest to you what you should do about it. It's up to your program to say, well, uh, what do I do now? Do I just exit as a program? Do I wait and try again? How many times do I try? When do I give up? And how do I convey that message to the user? Uh, and often it is through, through a straightforward transformation of an error number into a string, which is why you see some strings come up over and over again, which is why I could say, have you seen the phrase broken pipe? And even if you're using a different version of Unix than I am, you probably have because there's probably some very old mapping that was written in the 70s or 80s that mapped that error number to that string. And that's why lots of people have seen I'm it. I'm pretty sure I, that does sound familiar. I might be thinking of the John Travolta movie about nuclear It's like no space weapons. left on device. Have you ever seen the phrase no space left on device? Hmm... Uh, oh. You would have if you had oh, a little and bit And that's more. because of how much is allocated for like the, the buffer that's an owner of the buffer you're in. It's kind of like when we talked about the CSS colors of people making the list. Some some person a long time ago was made made a file that mapped from numbers to strings, right? And some number, whatever number, no space left on devices, somebody wrote no space left on device. That is the description of this error. Uh, a description that makes sense if you go to the system call and figure out what it was trying to do and what it failed to do and why. Uh, but that error message has been shown to humans for decades now. And if you're a Unix person, you know exactly what it means. And if you're not, you're like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. No space left on device? Uh, you know, but this, that's, that's part of like the Unix That's culture. like when you run out of room in your bank vault where you, where you store your nightgowns, right? You get 255 yeah. of those and no more, no less. Yeah, right? no space left on the device means your disk is full. Hmm. Not, I mean, not really, literally, but like that's the layperson's understanding of like, it means... Well, it's not as interesting as I thought. I figured it was going to be some kind of wackadoo thing where it's like, you know, the same way that you get like an account and like I've got a user account on my computer that's got an out. Yeah, you, you might get that if you ran up against your quota as well, but it's that basically like, That doesn't mean like, that hey, the disk is full. It just means the part that I can do anything with is full. Yeah. I tried, I was in the middle of writing a file and I tried to write the next little bit of the file and the error the operating system told me is, I, sorry, I couldn't do the right. Why? No space left on device. And it just returned error number one, two, three, whatever, whatever error number, no space left on devices. And that could happen for a bazillion reasons. But what it comes down to is you ask the operating system to write something and it said, nope, can't do it. Mm. Here's why. You figure it out. And is it because you had some quota that was filled up? Is it because the disk was 
briefly full? Is it because you don't have enough room left on this partition? Who knows? But no space left on device. That was the error, which is different from these seven other things that could go wrong when trying to write something to a file. Uh, and why is it called device? Well, you'll learn about, you know, again, block devices. You'll learn about that in Unix Power Tools, and you'll understand how disks are represented by block devices. Uh, yeah, it's there is a culture. There is a culture, and it is silly and weird, and it has the same type of stuff. And a lot of the culture is defined by some person who wrote something in a text file 30 or 40 years ago, and we all live in that culture today. Final, final. Um, this is probably, I don't know, depending on, this might be educational, it might be fun. I found the video that I was specifically thinking of, which I apparently watched on October 6th. It's from a, a YouTube channel called AT&T Tech Channel. And it's, it's cool. This will be in notes. It's called AT&T Archives, the Unix Operating System. And it's a 27-minute thing. Here's So uh, this will probably give some of you a boner. In the late 1960s, Bell Laboratories, computer scientists, Dennis Ritchie, and Ken Thompson started work on a project that was inspired by an operating system called Multics, a joint project of MIT, GE, and Bell Labs, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know. I, I personally, I'll, I'll just watch people using old computers anytime. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I enjoyed this a lot. And uh, if you want something after you've eaten your vegetables and learned how to um, find space on your buffer, maybe you could watch that. Are you ready to realize things? I listened to Gun a couple of times today. Gun. But your song? But your virtues, yeah. Yeah. Cut that out. 20, 28, by the way. Apparently, uh, no space left on the device is 28. Is the error number? What, what number that was. And so well, I, I didn't really, I, I sorry, I, I missed what you were talking about. But so you're saying like there's something out there that's the equivalent of an index, a dictionary, or something, a lookup something, where it says that when I, so you would go and like, see, I just got 28, and 28 means this you'd go like look it up or somewhere or yep. is there a nah, yeah there's, there's a that. bunch of functions in the unix standard library that says so you call the something and you got an error and the error is a number but you want to know what the hell does that number mean well call this function and give it a number and i will give you a string that tells you what that number means and the string that it will return to you <laughs> is no space left on device capital n no period if the if the if the, if, if your roommate has removed his coat from the hook you hang up your hook uh, a code on the hook then you take your chit you know, down to the headmaster's office and, and that's where you receive an index yeah I, I keep trying to find like i'm sure you can find like in the linux source code or in the and the darwin source code on the mac os 10 side or old unix source code you'll find the file it's a header file somewhere that has this number in it and it has this string and you can find the function that you can call to turn those numbers into strings and yeah madeline i know what we're doing this weekend yeah we're just going to go through the uh, error numbers and, various header files. and we're going to say hmm this is a good one. This is anticlimactic, but I think it's time we've arrived at the fireworks factory. We're going to talk about, um, probably somewhat briefly, because, wow, it's been an hour, um, things that took us each of us too long to realize. Do you want to talk about background and, and how we got to this? Because it is, I, as much as you had fun with me last week about this, but I do think it's kind of related to secret weird things people do. Like, because there's no limit to the number of, what I say to my kid the other night, like there's so many things in life. I say this as somebody who knows there's so much stuff in life that you'll never know you are wrong about because there's no way to know that you're wrong about it until you know that you're wrong about it. And I wasn't, I didn't mean it in like a chiding way, but I think we we're talking about house probably as all we ever talk about, but you know what I mean? Like there's secret weird things people will do. What does that mean? I mean, I, I found out there's this thing I do that I thought was like, like just beyond normal or just whatever, but you know, you then discover that there are people, almost everybody else thinks that's weird. 
these are examples. Do you remember how this came up? How we first came upon this idea of maybe it was talking about the Beatles in your case, but it was the things where you're like, oh my God, those things that come along where you're just like, I'm so stupid. I can't believe I never put together that this is what, why this is called that, or this is what that means. Remember how we came to this? We've discussed this very topic multiple times on the show in the past. That's why I remember it. Thank you, John. That was very helpful. <clears throat> so right. if you want to find out, just go listen to 11 years of this podcast and you'll That's figure right. it out. Um, no, but uh, I definitely have. And as you have noted in this in the notes here, just because we've talked about it doesn't mean new ones don't appear. <laughs> That's the oh, whole nature boy. of the thing. I didn't realize until and you when. never know where you don't know what it's going to be. You don't know when it's coming yeah. along. And then you're you like, know, oh, that's why it's called an X-Wing fighter. I was uh, this many years old when I realized X. And you keep saying, like, whatever that format is for the meme, right? The reason yeah, that yeah. works is because you keep learning new things that apparently the whole rest of the world knew, but you didn't. Do you know about the, en- the ends of the uh, saran wrap or the aluminum foil box? you know about that? I do know about that. Although I will have to say. I um, didn't know I, about that until I was in my 30s. Yeah, I knew. I didn't know about that until I was older as well. But I have to say, I'm not a fan. Now that I know about it and have tried it, I don't prefer it. There's most people know about the little, the little difficult, like it's so hard to open these things nowadays, <laughs> these days, but you know, there's the little, like, uh, you get your, uh, Reynolds wrap and you, you know, you got, you got the little things where you like tuck it in to like close it up. Everybody knows about those. You ever wonder about those things on the end where there's those little nubbins on the end that are like a half moon. Uh, those exist so that you can punch them in and then that holds the roll in the box. Yeah, but it does a poor job of it in my opinion. Um, that was one I didn't know for a long time. Yeah. Um, I didn't know about them definitely until adulthood. I didn't know about them in childhood. And I think one of the reasons I didn't know about them in childhood is my parents never used them. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like they didn't punch them in. And so I, you know, I just took the aluminum foil is what it is, right? You just learn that you have to keep the lid closed a little bit when you're pulling it out. Otherwise the whole roll will come out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the things, it's not like it's catastrophic, but you know, it's, I don't know. It's and I I feel like this is also kind of related to your old thing about you know kind of why you know why do we cut the ends off the roast? Nobody ever thinks to ask why we cut the ends off the roast, and you eventually find out why they cut the ends off the roast. It was because we used to have a small pan in previous generations, and that's all we had. And so, you know what I'm saying? Like I, but there are those kinds of things. But like I'm just I'm surrounded by things like this, and they just I don't know. Uh, I I've tried to get the right attitude about it. Usually I'll go. Pff, you goof. How did you not know that? I remember yours. I feel like was they're called the Beatles and they're spelled that way because of the word beat. Yep. It's a music pun. It is a pun. And I knew about the Beatles for my whole life. I feel like my parents had Beatles records. I would play them. Like, it's not like I didn't know about the Beatles and I guess I was in my forties. Whatever we talked about on the show, thirty. That's not that. Like, that's not even nearly that bad of one it's compared bad, to some. The Beatles are not obscure, right? But did you know? Did you know it's they're mainly named after Buddy Holly and the Crickets? I, that that's a more interesting fact to me. I know, but like the th- the thing about the Beatles one is it's in your face the whole time. There's no information. Well, you and lack. the fact that it is misspelled, but I would bet you dimes to donuts, you grab two out of five people don't even know it's spelled wrong. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that that's another issue of like people who don't know how things are spelled. Right. But I do. I did know how it was spelled. I had all the information. I'm like the cricket thing that you mentioned. There's no other uh, research or knowledge that I was lacking to figure this out. It was right there. I knew how to spell it. I always knew that it was spelled differently than the bug. Uh, I knew how it was spelled. I knew what a beat is. I knew how that was spelled. 
I knew they were a band. Like it was all there. I gave haha ha, 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 police Mr. officer. Policeman. I gave yeah, you all yeah, the clues. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what? 30, 40 years old. Figured it out. Yeah. Do you have a lot of these? Uh, you put one in here for a prosumer versus consumer. Because well, I mainly because I'm trying to I'm trying to be friends with you. You're, you make it so difficult. I just thought it was super funny. You're probably far from the first person to ever say that. But when I said, "What did I say?" Did I say I said I consider myself a prosumer, and you said you don't consider yourself a consumer, and I was like, "That's really good." But I don't think that one qualifies, though. No, it doesn't because that's not what it means. Yeah, exactly. It's not. I mean. I mean, puns I was, don't I was count, riffing thank on God. the why do they call them Congress when they never make any progress? Oh, um, oh, I see. You remember that one? It was like, like a T-shirt oh. type of. Uh, no, you that's know, really funny. Visualize world peace, and uh, when the when the the army has to have a bake sale to buy a bomber or whatever. Mm. <laughs> a lot of that's things. A very from the long 70s. bumper sticker, right? Uh, but in this case, prosumer. I do not think someone coined that phrase because pro is the opposite of con. I think they entirely. It's just a combination of the word professional and consumer. God, it's like asking. It's like asking Rain, Rain Man, like why Judge Wapner ruled that yeah. way. And I don't. I don't know the etymology of prosumer, so I could be wrong. But that's my guess. My guess is it has nothing to do. Anyway, with I, 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 I got a bunch. Um, you do. I do. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to just real. it's not just to like reel these things off, but just because I'm not, it's not like a new fact to learn today. I, I'm not a new fact. Calendar. Well, what, what we've learned from doing this topic many times is every time we do it, somebody didn't know one of these and they of tell us. Of course. You know what I mean? Oh, I, I mean, like I, I run into this constantly and I, 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 I try really hard. Like when I'm sharing something with somebody, I, a lot of times you'll get that. I was this many, whatever old when meme this. And it's because like, it's, it's like, this is all like, it's okay. It's like, we're all learning new things. It's, there's no indignity in not knowing something. And as I noted before, uh, discussing it like we are now does not stop us. And if from you've got them, send them. Like things. if you've got good ones, send them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it, because you will, you know, a lot of people are going to hear this like, well, I, everything you're going to say, I already know. Maybe, probably, right? But someone out there is going to be shocked about the Beatles thing. You 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 attract that kind of. I don't, I don't, but you do attract that kind of listener. I see it every day, every day. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll do some of mine if you don't have any. Fine, whatever. Well, that was the only one listed under me, and I don't know if I uh, you know, off the top of my well, head. Well, because you haven't written any, and I've got like twelve. Yeah, but all right, go ahead, do, do some yours. <sighs> I don't know if I even want to do this. I don't even want to do the show anymore. I just, I just don't want to be you're, here anymore. You're okay. You're fine. Well, uh, this is a safe space one, for you. So, like to me, the, the, as, as mentioned briefly last week, the canonical one of these, and of course now it's becoming a, become a running bit. But when I was a young person, uh, there was a song called, I think the official title. Well, the way I remember the song being called is, "If I said you had a beautiful body, would you hold it against me?" And it was a pretty popular song. I went back and re-listened to it. I think I said, said this to you. I, I did not realize or forgot, probably didn't realize how much it sounds kind of like a Jimmy Buffett song, more than like a, a country song. Yeah. When you, when you sang a little bit of it last episode, I think you captured that in your in your recitation of it. I sang it completely wrong. It, yeah, it made sense. Well, yeah, and, and so it's the song, if you said you had a beautiful body, would you hold it against me? And like, I didn't realize that was a double entendre when I was 11 or whatever, I didn't realize it when I was in my 20s. I think I was in my, at least my 20s or 30s before I realized it's a double entendre. And because this is the point, if this upsets you, go find a more challenging podcast. I'm going to explain the joke now. If I said you had a beautiful body, would you hold it against me? It's a double entendre, meaning from, from en Francaise. And so what he's saying is, if I said you 
had a beautiful body, would you hold it against me? And I didn't realize that for a really long time. That one, that was your attempt to explain it? If can I, I, I never I said she stole my money. I never can said I she stole my money. Uh-huh, right, yeah. Um, I never said she stole my money. Um, there is, there is an, uh, an English saying, a saying in American English of holding something against somebody. It's like, would you, would you blame me for this thing? If I did something wrong, would, if I did this, would you hold it against me? Would you, would you blame me for doing it? Would you say, you did I, that much, bad much thing? Much less common parlance now, but that was, you would, might say to somebody, um, you might say something like, um, hey, you know, if, if you wanted to go out and get me a beer, I wouldn't hold that against you. Like, in a way of like, I wouldn't be mad at you. I wouldn't that's like a, that's kind of a second order, second level version of that because you already kind of have to know what it means. But it's something people used to. It's one of those things that's lost on the youths. People don't say that anymore. Yeah, like you're you're about to do something you think people uh, might bother somebody to say, but please, please don't hold it against me. Anyway, so that's the the main reading. So uh, if I told you how you would you hold it against me, saying like, would you would you blame me for saying that? Would you would you say you're being so rude? Like, right. would you hold it against me? Right. That's I, meaning I, I number think, one. I think she would call him a chauvinist pig is what I would guess. Right. And meaning number two, because hold it against me is a saying that doesn't like if you were to translate that into a language, it's one of those sayings that doesn't really make sense because it's kind of like the literal meaning of it doesn't make sense. It's just a, a saying that, you know, anyway, vernacular. Know. yeah, it's, it's, it's something that was it was like exclusive to our language. And it's the same reason that there's all kinds of things like like there's a reason we say schadenfreude. Because if even if we say shameful joy, it doesn't have anywhere near the connotation that Schadenfreude in the German does. Yeah, or like something like uh, you know putting up with something. You're not putting it upwards, right? You're not taking it. You're not taking the item and placing it on a place that is higher than you are. But we say, right. oh, you know, that I won't put up with that. Right? We know what that means, but a literal translation doesn't make sense. Well. The second meaning in the song <laughs> that is, would, would you hold, that would you hold it against I me? Up won't put. <laughs> yeah, with which I will not put. Yeah, you don't want to end on a preposition. Um, the second meaning of this is the literal one. If I said you had a beautiful body, would you take that beautiful body and literally hold it against me? Yeah, see? Yeah. Those are I the two meanings. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that. And I think this is an interesting category of sexual innuendo that young people don't get, which is everywhere. In like every Disney movie, every Pixar movie, everything that's ever made for kids, they put in the, the double entendre sex joke for the adults, goes right over the kids' heads, isn't harming anybody. Oh, you're talking about like a, like a Shrek type situation. The adults get, no, Shrek is a little bit more over it, but like there's always Oof. sexual innuendos go pat, over the head of young people. Now, here's the thing. Here's, here's I think, part of what was, was uh, the problem with you in this phrase. When you learn something in your youth before you're old enough to catch sexual innuendos, right? <gasps> Yes, I yes, I already see. You, yes, yes, yes. you cement the non-sexual meaning and never revisit it because you're like, I know that song. It's for my kids. This is what it means. Would you hold it against me? It's like, oh. It's it's a form of chunking. It's a way of surviving in the world. It's like I don't I am not gonna reprocess it's settled, everything. It's settled I, business. Yeah, it's like right, would right, you right. would you blame me for saying it because te- because would you consider it rude? Would you hold it against me? Would you put it as a demerit in my column of things, bad things that I did to you? If you're saying you you there's no need to revisit it. It's such settled business. It's a song you know from your youth, you know exactly what it means. And so you never need to look back on it. When you come of age and realize, oh, sexual innuendos, they're everywhere, and I never saw them before. Early 1970s, the great singer Rod Stewart, well, the then great singer Rod Stewart, um, had a, a popular song called uh, Tonight's the Night Paren, Gonna Be All Right. The third verse of which goes like this. <clears throat> uh, come on, angel, my heart's on fire. <clears throat> Don't deny your man's desire. You'd be a fool to stop this tide. Spread your wings and let me come inside. Because tonight's the night. 
Okay, that was last year. Last year was I finally realized what spread your wings and let me come inside means. Yeah, because he's kind of referring. Sec- he's kind of referring to her yoni like a, like a butterfly, kind of yeah. sexual yeah. again. Sexual. Yeah. Maybe we should get all the sex ones out of the way. Do you have one yet? Just waiting for you to uh, appreciate Rod Stewart. I love Rod Stewart. Oh my gosh! No, no, no! I don't like his crooning era. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about the the album cover? I think you showed me sure. this before. I, yeah. I don't. Let's quite... see. Let's see. Tonight's the night. Pronounce I the think... name of this band. Who? This band. Wait. AJA. Oh, 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 oh. Um, Steely Dan and uh, the, the album is oh, called Asia. Name. Yeah, it's called Asia. Their their magnum opus from 1977. It's pronounced like the continent. I don't know. I mean, I I could if I talked to literally anybody else I considered a friend, I would say yeah, just say it like Asia. You know, like the band Asia and the mm-hmm. album Asia. Yeah. I never meant to be so bad. Uh, it's it, and there's a song there, Asia. It's yeah, so Asia, yeah. Now, this one's visual, but are you familiar? You're not familiar with this album, you're not familiar with this album cover. I am only familiar with it because I saw you uh post it online, but I don't think I understood what you were getting at. So, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the album cover now. Well, I mean, I've seen this gosh, I have such a clear recollection of when this record was out. I remember being on the school bus. Um, and, and, and songs from this being on the radio, um, you know, this is, this is their best record. Um, and it's, it's got this cover that's, it's really cool. And it's really like, to me, looks very abstract. And so it says Asia, Steely Dan. And then I always thought this was like, this always reminded me more of like Les Mis. You see like, what, like a banner or a flag, Right. But what I'd never noticed until fairly recently is that's part of a woman's dress. And there's a woman on that cover that she has a face that you can see. Now, now you, here's you. Like if you just walked by at Peaches and saw this on an end cap, you would not go, oh, obviously that's a, you know, that's a Japanese woman. Like, no, you're doing that now because you're a Zoomer in her and you're trying to be smart on the podcast. But I'm telling you, I bet most people don't realize there's a lady's face on that album cover. I'm not so sure about that one. Ugh. What I don't understand is what's the thing in the middle? It's like a flag thing. It's like her dress. You can find uh, outtakes from her photo shoot. She's a model. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find some outtakes that will show you other angles of this. I feel like that's a- the confusing part. But the yeah. nose and mouth visible in the upper left, that is... But that, see her blunt kind of bangs? She's got an Edna Mode haircut? I mean, it's clearly a nose and a mouth. But no, no, it's not. Back up further away yeah, from your well, very, know, very, very. But this okay. was the album. This is like vinyl, right? This was huge. I might be done with this. I might be done with podcasting as a career. I think I might be done. Yours, yours. That is such bad faith on your part. What about what about the uh, what about spread your wings? And let me come inside. What about that one? I didn't know that lyric until you wrote it. In the what about what I... about the Jefferson Starship song "Miracles," where he says, "I got a taste of the real world when I went down on you, girl." Do you hear that by on the radio? The, bay, the city that never sleeps, Los Angeles. The city. Do you want to know? I know. We've ta- talked about it before. So, yeah, yeah. I want to get back. Uh, is, yeah, call LA. Ooh, 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 ooh. Mm-hmm. One of the things we this came up when uh, is it when the lights go down the city and, and the sun shines on L.A. Yeah. is how it well, originally we were, we were talking about John Denver a while back. Do you remember that? I think uh, and I linked to that John Denver yeah. documentary. I believe yeah, it had a little yeah, segment yeah. Where it, probably in the beginning where it where it said this that uh, John Denver wrote Rocky Mountain High before he'd ever been to Colorado. Uh, he wrote <laughs> uh, 
take me home country roads before he'd ever been to West Virginia. <laughs> Almost been there, West Virginia. Yeah, right. Uh, that, that that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, you know, I'm going to continue because I don't do the show for John. I do it for, I do it for John too, but I don't not may not anymore. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a little. Pre- I'll send you a little present to cheer you up midway through this topic here. Why don't you click on that file and scroll for a little while? You'll be so excited. I got a taste of the real world when I went down on you, girl. If only you believe like I believe, baby, like I believe, we get by. And then, then a few years later, they were in this the Star Wars holiday special. Hmm. Did you know that uh, Jefferson Starship? Jefferson Airplane, Jefferson Starship, Starship. Was there a name after that? Yep. No, I don't think so. No, no, no. They just they just turned into a pure line of cocaine. Like, yeah. like some kind of a Colombian just, Voltron. Just blew away in the breeze. I <laughs> uh, mentioned last week um, my UHF station as a child. See, now I'm just, I'm, I'm just, uh, is, this, is this boring? Because I love this. Channel you 19. Got, you you got to clear them out. They're in the notes. You got to clear them out. Okay. Um, Channel 19, my UHF station when I was a kid. Again, at least in my 20s, maybe 30s, possibly 40s. I didn't realize it was called Channel, the Channel 19 was WXIX, and that XIX is the Roman numeral. For 19. Now, here's the thing. You're not five. Okay? Not, not you, John. Don't worry. This isn't for you unless it is. You, you know, you deserve it probably. Listen. Listen. When you're five, you don't notice things like that. And I, John, you know what I do like is your theory that we need a name for, which is that when you imprint on something like a fact at a certain point, I mean, this happens. This happens a lot, especially in the in the trauma community. Is a thing that's just part of. I told you that story about my. I have so many good stories about my friend Sam. I told you that story when Sam and I went to see the Go Go's and a flock of seagulls, right? And he he smelled something, and he's like, "What is that? What, uh, cigarettes?" And I said, "I think that's pot smoke." And he goes, "I've been smelling that my whole life. I never realized that's mm. what it was." Right? That's what it takes. That's this is the same guy, my my friend who was like, you know, went to Boys Date and was got me to go to new college with him he um yeah he didn't realize that his parents like how often have you done the calculation on your parents wedding day he figured out that his parents wedding day and his date of birth were fewer than nine months which is a pretty big deal in 1967 stuff like that like when like you don't revisit the antique furniture of your mind because that it's settled business you have a lot of antique furniture you have a lot of your, your grandmother's couch right this really feels like a grind at this point i'm just writing this down antique furniture had some uh had some uh macaroni and gravy um okay now this is this is i know you don't think my kid's smart you've said it (laughs) i don't know where you're getting that from oh you know you know you know brought those grades up you know they're they're literally all a pluses yeah so why would i think he's not smart well you know he's talking about how he's not smart because there's no such thing as an a plus on a report card well, no, I think the grading system is dumb. Mm-hmm. No reflection on your child. Corrupt the grading system is. Yeah, A plus. <laughs> a plus, <laughs> I know. I told him you said that. You're just like of the scene in Christmas story. A plus, plus, we're going, we're plus, going to the, plus. <laughs> we're going to the flop house together on Friday, and we're going to talk about you behind your back. Under 18, not allowed. I got help from Dank. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy goes, um, <laughs> like walking out of the room like a teen does just you know to like go do whatever and Billy goes oh that's why they're called X-Wing fighters <laughs> and it made me so happy like yeah, first think- of all you gotta be a pretty smart person to admit that like you've gotta be like a pretty self-possessed person to admit he's in a safe admit- place he's in his own home you know and then it, now it's on a podcast isn't that a good one though 
Right. And I think when you first told me that, I said, you should ask him, uh, you should tell him that they're actually called S foils. The letter S is insane. I know. I know. I still owe you that. I think you really need to tell him that because it's really just going to uh, bother him. Now we're getting into the era where I started putting dates on them. And like Superchunk says, why you got to put a date on everything? But this one is from uh, over the summer. I'm kind of low-key obsessed with Tokyo Disney. Mm -hmm. I've watched a lot of videos about it. And in particular, I've watched a lot of videos about an extraordinary looking park called Disney Sea. Uh, so called because it's, you know, it's, it's like nautical. It's on water. Uh, John, supposedly, have you ever watched any of the videos? Have you seen that one guy? talk about this like the other all the sight lines yeah, are there are like bananas like uh, you gotta watch a video on disney sea it looks really amazing find a link and put it in notes yeah you know what i'll put that down um i would love that um and so I, i've watched a lot of videos about this it's and they've gotten a lot of good stuff first they get good attractions that they, they like trickle down to here i think it might be where they first got that this, the, do you remember when they first came up with that new kind of audio animatronics like starting starting with like Beauty and the Beast and how like she looked really different and super duper real. Like her face had expressions in a way that they didn't used to. I think they get stuff like that first sometimes. Disney Sea, check it out. Their version of the Haunted Mansion. Oh my God, it looks so cool. Because it's culturally different. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. I will yeah. definitely put this in notes. Uh, uh, John, I mentioned this because they call it Disney Sea because it's there by the water and it's got a nautical theme. They brought back Captain Nemo subs. Except it's really, really cool, and they don't have racist mountain. They've got a very cool mountain that's a volcano, and it's all very, very cool. And it's I'm guessing it's called Disney Sea because you want to contrast it with Disneyland. Yeah, that was in June. That was in June, I realized that, in June. Well, I think that's kind of a stretch because you already knew sea was for the sea because it's on the water. You knew that already. Mm, and yes. I, no, I will not. I will not allow any credit for this because i've watched some of these videos i've watched two or three times because it's one of those places where you're like i used to always think my family was so weird or like old tourists were weird because they would go to bush gardens before it was the bush gardens that i knew back when it was literally gardens if you've seen that picture of me like acting like i'm kissing a statue that's at bush gardens and that is exactly the kind of attraction they used to have 20 years before they got roller coasters before they called it the Dark Continent. John, in the 1980s, <laughs> Bush Gardens in Tampa was called the Dark Continent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's a whole lot of materials about it out there. They got the Scorpion. They got they got the Beer Hall. I'm pros it. They got it all. They got it all. But but like I used to think old people were so weird because it was basically flowers, a bunch of flowers, some statues you could kiss, and a brewery. Now the appeal was you could go to the, go in the brewery. The whole place stinks. It just smells like. If, unless you really, really like hops, the whole park smells like hops. But that's how it started. It's Bush Gardens, as in Bush Beer. Now, okay, okay, John, I bet you there are people in Florida where the schools are terrific. I bet there are people who don't realize that it's called Bush Gardens because of stuff like the Anheuser-Busch family. Wait until they hear about the Michelin stars. Did you say Michelin? 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 Are you talking about the, 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 the big rubber man? Uh, yeah, yeah. The stars I mean, like, that they that? give to the stars that they give to restaurants that every three restaurants stars. Covet. Oh my god, I don't know this one. I don't know this one. Go slow. Okay, Michelin stars. Okay, it's a big deal because I remember when I first heard, oh, we got a Michelin star. What's the big one star restaurant? Oh, you hear? Yep. Like, no, no, no. The most they yep. give is three, and here's what it means: because Michelin is a guide, f and to what restaurants to go to. The thing is, Michelin's a company that sells tires, That's and right. so what Michelin did was, oh, is this the joke? 
No, that's it. That's just the thing that a lot of people don't know. Like the, the Bush Gardens was the Bush Beer Company. What they don't know is that Michelin would say, here's here's one star, two star, and three stars. And it's not like how nice it is compared to the place you like to go to and give a good review to on mm-hmm. Yelp. Uh, I, it's my understanding, if I remember correctly. One star is, hey, if you're nearby, go if you can. Like yeah, two even stars. Even just getting one star is, is something. Oh, no, 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 no. It's a huge, no, no, I'm sorry. It's a huge deal to, for, to like, be no. The default is nothing. You get no star. Well, okay, but we're getting to the third Michelin star, which this will make you double down on your, double down. Really, Merlin? This will make you even you further. <laughs> Would you like to breakfastize that? Would you like to lobster eat your meal? Um, <laughs> I don't think that exists. <laughs> you never watched Portlandia, did you? Not a Portlandia fan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kamel Nanjiani has a very funny pseudo-running bit on there. As somebody they have to deal with at like a restaurant or a cell phone store or the app or like a computer repair place. Yeah, I saw the one at the computer repair place. Watch the one, the one that we steal liberally from on Dubai Friday, which is uh, around the world in 80 plates, (laughs) where they do things a little bit different, a little bit fun. Mm -hmm. Um, What was I talking about? Portlandia. Uh, oh, lobster ate your meal. The Michelin stars. What I, all I was getting about is that people don't three know that that's means, the tire company. Three means, this is an extremely rare sort of, oh, what I was going to say was, speaking of Fred Armisen, this will make you enjoy, so if you ever saw the, the wonderful series documentary now, and one of my favorite episodes uh, is called Juan Likes Chicken and Rice. And it's a, it's just a, a not a, I don't want to say a parody of Jiro Dreams of Sushi, but it's, a you know, every episode of documentary now is based, kind of grounded in some usually off sometimes a specific movie but that one is it's kind of specifically making fun of gyro 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 dreams of sushi but it's also just making fun of the whole like oh my god this really i mean is this gonna make it that much better that it's like this and it's about a guy that has a guy and his son oh and by the way this features a a young uh, harvey what's his head the guy who plays guillermo is on this uh like 10 years ago um, but anyway, it's about this guy who has a, it's the only three-star Michelin restaurant that's in the middle of a jungle. So he's like in the middle of a jungle and all he serves is chicken, rice, coffee, and plantains. Plantains. And like, and, but it's all like he's like each bean has to be inspected separately. It has to be buried for a week. The whole thing's hilarious, but it's, that makes it so much funnier once you get that a Michelin three-star means this is the rarest of restaurants in that we would encourage you to take a trip to wherever this place is, even in another city or country, just to go to this restaurant, correct? Yeah, yeah. I don't know how many there are, but the number is low. And then the, the, the idea is then you buy more tires. Yeah, that's the idea. You let my tires down, John. Well, speaking of Disney Sea, I have one for my list. Oh my God, thank you, John. Related to uh, Disney and Sea. Well, not kind of. Anyway, um, I think I, it's not that I, realize this i learned it because there was a piece of information i was lacking so it's not like the one like the beatles that i had everything i needed i needed a little bit more info but once i got it it came together Twenty thousand leagues under the sea Twenty thousand leagues under the sea and there's something book right jules verne but you're missing something about that the name means something uh it's kind of like the death star trench thing todd vizieri Twenty thousand leagues under the sea it's Oh, going, it's the wrong kind. It's the wrong kind going of going horizontally right? for twenty thousand leagues. It's not twenty thousand leagues straight down, going deeper and deeper into the. Sea. And the thing I didn't know is a league is almost three and a half miles. 
So yeah, it's, it's kind of like not, saying 60, 60, uh, yeah, 60, not 60, 60 ounces miles, under the sea. 60,000 miles under the sea doesn't make sense. It's 20,000 <laughs> leagues traveled like <laughs> as the crow count, flies. But I'll, I like that. That counts. It's orthogonal. It's, uh, uh, it's related to this. It's not strictly this, but I'll, it's, I will but it's, allow Because that. my whole life, I thought 20,000 leagues under the sea meant you were going down. Well, that's down. the implication. You're supposed 20, to think that. 20,000 leagues. But no, it's just like you go under the water one foot and then you go horizontally west for 20,000 leagues. That's 20,000 leagues under the sea. <laughs> it's the classic, uh, you know, Stonehenge error. Yeah. <laughs> it was supposed to be feet. Did you know that? Did you know 20,000 leagues under a, the, the sea was horizontal? The problem is that we have a Stonehenge that is in danger of being trodden upon by a dwarf. Mm-hmm. Or a little person, as I say. Trodden or trod? Oh, so close. Bad. What were you going to say? Yeah. Anyway, that was another one. Uh, Disney Sea, 20,000 leagues under the sea. It's horizontal, not vertical. Did you think when, when I said 60 ounces under the sea was funny? Sure. Do you guys hear the way he says that? He says, sure. <clears throat> I don't think this is an official one. I don't know if it's an official one, but um, there's a band I like a lot called The Beths, and their singer, uh, who's called Liz, uh, but, but uh, I think her full name is Elizabeth. So, so I wonder if that's why they're called The Beths. Yeah, I think you had all the info on that one. Mm-hmm. March 13th, 2023. Because you didn't just learn that Liz is short for Elizabeth, right? I might make this my last one um, because it's a pretty good one. I've seen most of the first season of Transparent and I've certainly been very aware of Transparent like as a, as a thing. And uh, let's see, what did I write down? Oh, here it is. Oh, this is two days after that. This is March 15th, the Ides of March, 2023. And by the way, the Ides of March is not always on the 15th, just so you know, it's just, just in March, right? Like, like, you know, you wouldn't say, you wouldn't say like the, you know, the point being transparent, right? Jeffrey Tambor, right? You know why it's called that? I you do know not know anything it? about the show, but uh, the explanation uh, Jeffrey makes Tambor sense. plays somebody in his, this is after Arrested Development. Very, very cool show. Amazing cast. Um, and uh, a lot of like made by and with and casting queer people, except for Jeffrey Tambor, who turned out not to be problematic. So it's not a big deal. But um, the reason it's called transparent is because I think it's called that because. Um, he ends up being a trans parent. So the Jeffrey Tambor character yes. is trans. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a trans woman in on, on this show, and it's about his family coming to terms. I think it's it's got almost a little bit of a Tenenbaums Royal Tenenbaums feeling, you know. But like I think I mean the relationship. Anyway, trans parent, right there, it's right there in front of you. you if you open your heart to this, you're going to find, I never clicked on the thing you sent me. If you open your heart, you're going to find so many of these in your life and, and you won't admit it. Not you. Well, probably you actually. Okay. I'm on error, <laughs> error no dot H. H is a header. Look at those numbers. Look at all hey, these Dan, numbers. I know this, but tell our listeners what a dot H is. Like I find those in my spotlight returns all the time. First of all, I feel like it's pretty cool. Like one of these things got error number one. Pretty cool that you oh, get to get error number okay. one, right? All right. And which one is that? Doing the show with you, I think. Yeah, which which one is that? I think you were familiar with this one. What's error number one? Uh, Error number one is EPERM, which is defined as operation. The comment says operation not permitted. You might have seen that one, huh? Try to do something to a file that's owned by root. Can't do it because permissions, operation not permitted. Have you seen that one? I guess. uh, Error number two, also a banger. Number two, no no such such file file or directory. Huh, you've seen that one These come up. And like, is this with verbose on or is this just, it goes like it says pipe broke, broken, like this broken pipe, one of these? Yeah. So these are, there's an error no global variable that gets set to one of these numbers when you make a call and it fails. 
Okay. Right. So the, the 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 call will return something to indicate that a failure has happened. And if you're like, yeah, but what failure? What happened? You look at error no, uh, which is short for error number. And if the error number is two, you're like, but two, I don't know what two means. And I forget what the function is called. All right, let me go look it up here. It's on the Terry Green machine. No such file. Uh, you don't have to look it up here. There's actually a function that will that will uh, produce the string from the number. This is just the numbers, right? That's but handy. <laughs> another fun thing to look at is... Uh, so <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. We should have written it down and told more people. I'm so sorry. All we have is a number. All we know is that it's 11 and it used to be E again. That's all we know. If you look at uh, the, the, the other fun thing is, so you got the message on the right in this file. You also have the uh, the symbolic name in code, so you don't have to write it to, right? Do you mm -hmm. see the one for no such file directory? Do you see what that error is called? The, like the um, define? Oh, I, I'm sorry. Uh, define E-N-0, E-N-T? No, try again. Well, but one e thing you'll notice about all these error, the error symbols, so you don't have to type the two in your code, you would type, uh, like the first one, error number one is E-perm. That's right, short right, right. for permissions they all begin with e because they're errors this is some right. some person some person thought okay. this was oh, a so, good so idea no no entry yeah e no ent e no ent what is which it? is I'm short guess, i'm e, guessing no entry i don't know e no entry and uh entry in this uh thing uh is not like uh you are not allowed entry like no entering no that's it means not it what doesn't it means. exist yeah what it means is that's not what it means what it means here is oh, that yeah. There, uh, there is no entry in the directory listing for the file you asked for. So you asked for a, a file or directory, and I go, and the way it finds things, which you learn in the operating system book, is it goes through each directory in turn and opens it and gets the list of all the files that are in the directory. And if it can't find the file that you asked right. for, it's that I look through every single entry in this directory, and there was no entry for the file called foo.txt. And so you get e no ent. It means error, no entry in the directory that I look for. And it could have been any of the directories along in that path because it look, starts and, you know, if you do slash users, slash Merlin, slash whatever, it'll look at users. It'll look through all of yeah, them. It'll look through slash and is there a directory called users? And yes, I found it. And then it'll look in the users directory and list that one. Is there a directory called Merlin? Yes, I found it. And then it'll, you know, and it keeps going until it fails. And when it fails, right. you get E no ent. Error I'm number missing, two. I think I'm missing, I'm missing the joke. It's not a joke. It's just, it's oh. just uh, telling you that like the, that the, the the symbol, the name of the thing, enoent, it refers to an implementation <laughs> detail. And so if you just saw enoent, you're like, what the hell does that mean? Does it mean you would never guess no such file or directory? If you saw you know, eperm, you might say operation not permitted, perm is short for permission. Right, right, right. Anyway, this is a treasure trove. E again is a great one. You just read E again. Where, where is that one? I yeah, yeah, it was at 11, because 11 says uh, resource deadlock avoided. And then below that, on its own line, as a comment below the the error message that would appear, I guess. I guess is that the second line of the 30, 30, error? thirty-five. Yeah. Which no, that's just the comment. It's just continued. So right. So look at E again, which is thirty-five. I saw thirty-five. Yeah. That that error is basically saying, eh, try again. It'll probably work next time. Try again. Uh huh. What about thirty? You see thirty-two. You see thirty-two. It looks like it's about vapes, but it's not. Yeah. E pipe. What's it called? Read it. Broken what, pipe. Yeah. E pipe. Yeah. Yeah. E again is great because that's that's one of the ones where you could be doing a thing and you could do a thing a thousand times and then the thousandth first time it says, eh, try again. Just do the same thing you did again. Like I, I couldn't I couldn't do it this time. Oh, this is funny. We we can make this this, this is so, so like let's say let's say you're 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 being um really frustrating to me and I, and so I return I return an error to you and I say E would block. Now, no, woodblock, that, that, it sounds like I'm talking about a percussion instrument. What I'm saying is I would literally block you. E would block. <laughs> that's, that's a different thing. Anyway, there's lots of good ones in here. We, you can make a nice e-shirt with, uh, let's find. 
find some good ones. Uh, <laughs> You're a Disney C word. Jesus Christ, John. That's E-proc funny. Did you say, didn't you say e- <laughs> proc unavailable? E owner dead. Come on. 105. E owner dead. <laughs> e- wait, wait. Hang on. Hang on. I got to catch up with you. Too many links. That's 31. Yep. Nuts up. 102. <laughs> Keep reading these. This is the opposite of ASM. Oh, wait. Oh, God. There's more. Oh, my gosh. Identifier removed. Bad message. 94. I'm going to start returning 94 to you sometimes. Bad message. You bad message. You no bad message mis- available on stream. Tell me what that means. Because I was about to say something. When I thought I was trying to figure out a joke, um, I was thinking about how there's so many layers of abstraction in my world as somebody who uses a computer. I mean, there's a handful that I'm aware of, and I can't even imagine how many more are underneath that. But, you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because, like, uh, my first impression of something like a terminal, I mean, I guess it's a terminal, t- t- was Telnet, was like how I got on the internet, which is like like just following instructions in 1992 or three, which is like, go here, here's your, you know, your your, your email address, and here is your, your password, and you go here, and you're going to go, I don't even know how to do it, but like, this is how you use Telnet to get on the internet. And, you know, of course, on the one hand, I was like overwhelmed in the best way about the world in this case like a text world that was out there but like the internet dude like it was amazing and i was watched i was looking at it because i ran the max like i got to bring the the powerbook 100 home circus 92 93 and i like that ball don't let casey tell you different that was a good ball i bring that home and i with the, i had a built-in modem the, the night I would bring home the nice one is nobody if none of the doctors were traveling with it, and I would use the internet and until I basically passed out every night. But, but think about this like, I'm a power user, right? Like, I'm a Mac guy, I like computers. Can you imagine what it was like for me to be using that kind of an interface for the first time? What I'm trying to get at is so many of the things that I was aware were analogies, metaphors, uh, constructs like we're gone when I had to go in and type the right words in the right order and say the right things. And again, it's sometimes a little bit terse about telling you what might be wrong. But my impression is that like, that's not the end. Like there's, there's still the way that we build frameworks on top of platforms and then the programming language and all those kinds of things. It's just, it seems like Unix like systems are feel less, feel less tangled up about, you know, Going deep when you need to, going deeper past the thing that we just gave to you, you know, as a way that that something you can understand through a metaphor. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like it's just, it it seems like there's there's so many layers in our mental model of how we use things or the mental model that we're given. There's so many layers and layers and layers of things, and you may not even be aware of those layers until a bunch of those layers went away. But even when you get to the point where it feels like you're doing the most sort of caveman thing in the world you know, typing LS, LS space LA. Well, why don't I just open the window and sort it, right? Like, what? Well, that's so weird. Why would you do it that way? It's, 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 it's such a completely different experience. You send me something? Yeah, just I, I, it was annoying me that I couldn't remember the name of the function that you give it the number and it returns you the string. It's, it's Sturrer. Sturrer. S-T-R-E-R-R-O-R. No space. Right, right, right. It's the great yeah. vowel shortage of the seventies. No spaces or tabs. Yeah. Um, Eno policy. Eno policy. That's how you feel about Brian Eno. Oh, <laughs> uh, and that is <laughs> that. That will be returned if you record some albums in Berlin. 
uh, uh, protocol error. Oh, this is so. I did pull out some O'Reilly books today. Getting back into it. Getting back into it. I don't know. I you never really gave an answer about where people should start. But I said Unix Power Tools and the Tannenbaum Operating System book. The links will be in the show notes. I think I've got a dot chm of that somewhere here. Whatever that is. But those the two books that I suggest are, are the ones I learned from, and because I don't have any better choices, and they're huge and intimidating, but they'll get the job done. Do you have any more things? It took you too long to realize. I don't think I mean, so. I think it's, we cleared. it's okay if you don't. I think we cleared them out. I mean, we'll we'll all have more eventually, and we'll put them in this document and talk about them in the future. Do you know why the bumper sticker says, like, it's a bumper sticker that was pretty popular when I was a kid. It, it's the basis of a very funny joke on I think you should leave because, you know, we all grew up with this bumper sticker that everybody had and the bumper sticker would say honk if you're horny. And I would see that and like, <laughs> like horny, like that means you want to kiss somebody, right? Or, or be over kissed by somebody, right? Honk if you're horny, right? You, you get it? Honk if you're horny because if you're horny, you know, you should, you should honk. And I swear to Christ. I wrote down circa 2022. It was at least over a year ago before I realized that's because horns make a honking sound. Yeah, I think I only realized that when I adult it as well. Really? It's kind of funny because it's the, the the meaning that we all knew was the the sort of sexual innuendo one, right? Horny <laughs> yeah, and sex yeah. thing. That's the one we all knew. The one we didn't understand was the non-sex-based one. <laughs> the the fact that it's a horn. And it that's how they, that's how they, it's like, it's like when you get a hat and it says FBI, but then you look a little bit closer and it says federal bikini inspector. Yeah. Female body inspector was the. Don't let the bastards grind you down. Spencer's gifts was, was basically like a, like a temple to me. It's a hot topic for rich people. Yeah. 